You're listening to Radio Rahul, Heart in the Paint, Episode 3. What's up, everybody? We're here, Episode 3. I know it's been a long time, but uh, hey, we're back. And the NBA playoffs are officially underway. And uh, today I have a special guest, Josh Eberly. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. So let's just dive right into it. Let's let's talk playoffs. Right now, where we're at at the time of this recording, the Cavs are obviously down two to nothing, and the Warriors look like they're well on their way to another championship. What happens, and how does the rest of this playoffs play out? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm banking on this this series being over, um, you know, come Wednesday. I mean, I, I just, they're gonna, they're in a tough situation. They're going to be looking back at this J.R. Smith shot or no shot for forever. You know, the George Hill missed free throw. They beat themselves in game one at the end of this. They had nothing left than tank for overtime. And then game two, even when they were down six, you know, six to 12, it felt like the whole game they were down and always within striking distance, but could never close that gap. And the second that Curry got super hot, because he was shooting like 33% or 30% for most of the game. But the second he got super hot, it was over. Like that was the sucker punch. That's what they were waiting for. Kicked it into the next gear. This Cavaliers team is outmatched. And I, I'd love to sing a story, you know, about this going six or seven and then some crazy comeback and some, you know, uh, superhero feat from LeBron James. But he went for 51, eight and eight and they didn't win the game. I just, I don't, I don't see a route to, to a more competitive series. Right. No, I'm completely with you. And and you know what? I think um, before the, the finals started, and even after, well, not so much after game one, but before the finals started, I was I was predicting potentially six for sure five. Um, and, and I was predicting the Warriors, but I really thought that it would go to about six because you have to factor in the LeBron factor of it all. And, um, I mean, after watching that game one, the, this Cleveland team just looks so... You know, I mean, it's missing something, right? And that's they took a gut punch with that with that JR play. What do you think actually happened there? First of all, well, I, I think he thought they were up. Like you know, regardless of what he said, and now he said he doesn't know, but I think he thought they were up. I thought he, I think he thought they were up a point and was just pulling it out. You know, expecting to get fouled at any second, going back to the line, but they weren't. I mean, he didn't know the score. And and to me, like I, I think back for like the the hoop heads will know, but if you're like a newer fan or you're younger, '95, the Magic are up. I don't remember what they were like 15 or something um, against the Houston Rockets in Game One of the NBA Finals, and they end up coughing up that lead. They're up three with like no time left. Nick Anderson gets two free throws. He misses both. Grabs the offensive rebound. Gets fouled. Misses both, and they lose that game. The Houston Rockets go on the sweep, Shaq and Penny, and that's pretty much all she wrote for the Magic in, in that era. And I think about, you know, this J.R. Smith play and just like the humiliation of that moment for Nick and the humiliation of that moment for J.R. and just like the morale of this team that was not really thinking that they had a chance and that they could have stole game one and didn't. And I think that's going to ride them all the way to their demise, you know, uh, come Friday, game four. Right. Completely agree with you. So, so you're saying sweep for sure, at this point. Yeah, like I, 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 I'm, I think 
you know, it'd be nice to write five and, and maybe LeBron goes for like 60 and we're just like, wow, like you can't go for 60 to get one win. But I, I think four would be, be my honest guess at this point. So how long can the Warriors keep on doing this? I mean, obviously we can't predict, and and as you know, you and I both know, the NBA is the most unpredictable league uh, as far as rosters look year to year, or or even you know trade deadline to trade deadline. Um, but you know, how long can this Warriors team really stay at this level? Because at this point, I don't see any team that can you know. And sure, there are a lot of great teams out there. There are a lot of teams that are, um, you know, growing and, uh, and, and give them a couple of years and they'll get there and, you know, you have the Boston's of the world and all that. But, I mean, this Warriors team, you know, tell me your thoughts on that. How long are they going to stay this dominant? You know, I mean, it's tough. Um, I, I'm, I'm a believer that this Warriors team didn't give their best in the Houston series and that that, that series went to seven more due to the fact that the Warriors couldn't stay motivated and give their best effort for four quarters than it was Houston finding some sort of recipe or, you know, groove to beat them. And uh, that sucks to say, and I wish I didn't feel that way, but when you saw the way they came out in game six and seven of uh, in the first half, just so lackadaisical, Kevin Durant just didn't care, um, getting, getting just beat around by Clint Capella, Harden was getting whatever he wanted. And then they turn up the defense in the second half of both of those games. Curry goes wild. Durant goes wild. They're playing defense. You know, the Rockets can't hit a three to save their lives. It just, to me, the biggest enemy of this team all year, as I mean, Steve Kerr said over and over, has been, you know, complacency, motivation. And with that said, I don't think right now, I mean, we don't know what the landscape looks like. Next year feels like the year of maybe like the Warriors. Get, get sloppy like they're they're tired they've been doing this a while it, it's been tough to get up next year maybe they slip but it's still i would still be surprised if this unit doesn't win one more after this so you know i i think the next two or three years they'll still be the favorite i don't necessarily think they'll win all three but but it sure feels like they're gonna get at least one more after this they, just, they have too much talent I, I don't see any reason why this team breaks up so yeah, like maybe complacency happens. Maybe LeBron goes to Houston and they beat him. Maybe Boston or Philly makes that jump, but it sure feels like they'll be the favorite for the next two or three. Right. Um, well, since you mentioned it, um, you just mentioned LeBron to Houston. Now, LeBron, my general, my thinking, I think the general thinking is between Philly, Houston, uh, you know, uh, the obviously uh, the Cavs, and then potentially, I don't know, the Lakers or, or maybe throw a few wild cards in there. Um, what's your thinking on it? You know what? Like, there's just, there's no great place for him. And I, I threw this out on Twitter and like a couple guest spots in the last week, but I just really feel like the New York Knicks blew a chance. Like Phil Jackson blew a chance to set up this Knicks team to sign both Chris Paul and LeBron James this offseason. Like, get to play Madison Square Garden, which they both said would be cool. Get to play together, their best friends. Get that New York market. Kristaps Porzingis, third star, but instead they've got all that money tied up in Joakim Noah, Courtney Lee, Tim Hardaway Jr., and his canter. That's not going to happen. So, like, honestly, like, I, if I'm LeBron James, my decision is Philly or Houston right now. I'm not coming back to Cleveland. I think that relationship with Dan Gilbert and him is horrendous, like worse than anyone has even joked about. Like, I think it's super, super toxic. Um, I was listening to full 48, which is Howard Beck's podcast this morning. 
and Jason Lloyd of the Cleveland Athletic, Cleveland Athletic, who you know has been around this guy forever and knows him, you know, covers him better than anyone, said that if LeBron stays in Cleveland, the only reason he's doing it is for family and other things. If he leaves, it's for basketball reasons. And I think that's Philadelphia or Houston. I mean, those are the only two teams that he can go to where like the GMs could figure things out where they're where he's on a team that could potentially compete with Golden State. Now here's the thing. If he goes to Philadelphia, Ben Simmons can't shoot. He may be shooting with the right hand. Um, you know, he he is he says he'll play off ball, but like Joel Embiid wants to play slow. Simmons can't space. Like I, I don't know if the fit there is great. So he goes to Houston and now it's Chris Paul, him and James Harden, and that's a three headed monster, and it could be awesome. However, they're going to end up giving up Ariza, Eric Gordon. They'll probably have to give up Clint Capella. And you just wonder, like, are those three guys at LeBron and Paul's age, you know, with Harden always with the fatigue, are those three guys really enough? Like, is that team going to have enough enough depth around those three to beat the Warriors? I, there's really not a perfect situation out there in my mind. Right. I mean, but I, I would make the argument that either of those two options are significantly better than staying with the Cavs at this point. I think that that's just, a, you know, more or less a burned bridge. And, and that's not on LeBron's part. That's on, you know, that's on management. That's on the front office's part, um, given the way that they, that they you know, I mean, I remember that whole thing about uh, LeBron being upset that they didn't consult him about the potential of Eric Bledsoe and, you know, and all these other guys uh, in the past and Paul George and, and so often, uh, you know, basically overlooking him and of course they make decisions Tristan Thompson that's that's his guy that's who got him the extension and you know so many other players sure but I think that with a guy like LeBron it's such a big strain and yes you have this whole roster turnover uh you had this whole roster turnover at the trade deadline today to try and give this team a chance but I think it's all, you know, it's all for nothing at this point. And, and, you know, I mean, sure, they had a great season. They wound up having, that's still a success of a season for everybody but LeBron James because of his expectations. Here's the thing, though, too. Like, as much, I would love to bang on Dan Gilbert. Like, I I would. Like, I, I think he's made some terrible decisions, you know, in his personal and professional life regarding this basketball team. However, he has footed the biggest bill in the NBA, what, three of the last four years? Like, he is an owner that's willing to pay, and you don't see that everywhere. You see the Denver Nuggets talking about, you know, giving up their lottery pick to get rid of Kenneth Freed's one-year deal, and you're like, this is why bad teams stay bad. You don't just give it down. So, like, one, I'll give him that. But two, <clears throat> like, I understand LeBron doesn't want to work with Dan, and he, he's not sure about his future. And so this is kind of like a chicken-and-the-egg situation, but, like, Dan Gilbert's like, whoa, I'm really hesitant to, you know, spend more money on guys that really don't help me beyond this year. If you leave, if you can't commit beyond this year. And LeBron's like, well, if you don't bring in guys to help me beyond this year, then I'm going to leave. So it's like this really convoluted, you know, circle. So I, I think that has been difficult to navigate, but what I didn't like about this deadline move is there was no real direction. Like it was a hedge your bets move. Like they got, they brought in younger guys in Clarkson, put in Nance who they thought, like, even if LeBron leaves, these guys could potentially be part of this team's future. But they weren't necessarily the best guys they could have brought in. And I know there's people who aren't huge on DeAndre Jordan and some of the other names that were were mentioned, but these were guys that would have appeased LeBron James who probably would have given them a better chance in this playoff run. Maybe not a great chance, maybe not a perfect fit, but 
Obviously, a guy like DeAndre Jordan helps you more than, say, Larry Nance, Jordan Clarkson, and Rodney Hood, who haven't really combined to do an awful lot in this postseason. So I, I think that that move, while it was, it showed some like initiative on Cleveland's part to shake things up and, 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 and commit to that, it didn't really commit to either keeping LeBron or moving on without him. It kind of split the distance, and, and it, it was a bad look. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree, and and also that unwillingness to part with that that uh, Nets pick, which obviously did it. You know, now it has a much lower, um, it has much lower value than it used to have back at the trade deadline, because obviously now we know that that pick is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's the number eight pick, and so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it shows it shows that hey, we have an insurance policy in case if in case if you try and leave, you know. And I mean, I think you know, I I think that I think that Philly would be the place where I think uh, you know would probably be the best for his career long term because he's there with younger players um, and for somebody who seems to maybe want to stretch this thing out until. You know his kids get a ch- you know uh, his son gets a chance to maybe get into the league or or you know so on, even if it's just to potentially break records and stay healthy and not have a huge load on his shoulders. Um, you know, I mean, I think that that in my head that's where it seems to make sense. Obviously, the Houston fit on paper seems to be okay, but then you talk about them losing guys. Um, I also think that LeBron might not want to see the Warriors before he gets to the finals. You know, I, I think that that's a real concern for him. That 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 is a legit thing that, like, I think we as, as analysts and fans and writers, and we, we talk about it a lot, but, like, I, I just don't know. I don't know if LeBron sees... It, like that, although he is, you know, a legacy conscious player, and, mm. and and I do think in his head, if he if he's thinking like maybe I can't win six, but maybe I can make the finals right. ten straight years in a row, and like what a talking point that would be, like literally Absolutely. a decade. You know, as much as we love round numbers with Russell Westbrook's triple double season, like yeah, he had a triple double season. <laughs> this guy made the finals ten straight years. Not when there were six teams in the league. Not when there was 10 teams in the league, when there were 30 <laughs> teams in the league. I mean, there, there's Philadelphia is really interesting for a lot of reasons, too, because of what they can do beyond LeBron James. Like they have mm. young pieces. They have, you know, picks still. That, I, there's a really interesting situation where, like, LeBron commits to going there and maybe signs a three-year deal. And, you know, the Spurs can't make things work with Kawhi Leonard, and he... Is you know on the market and, and Philly you know makes a move and says hey uh, how about Markel Fultz Robert Covington and a future first like who's going to top that offer like I know wow. that Fultz had a really right. weird year but former number one overall pick Covington's like a do it all role player that Pop would love I think and, and the Spurs might not have a better option at that point all mm-hmm. of a sudden that's like wow you know you run right. back a Simmons Reddick Leonard wow. LeBron Embiid like there are options there. <laughs> Find Paul George too. Like there, are, there are things that that team right. could do beyond LeBron that would maybe put them on the Warriors' playing field. So now that we're on the topic of the Sixers, we have to touch on it. Um, what's going on with Brian Colangelo here? What? So for those who who may not know, um, which I don't think anybody who pays attention to NBA Twitter doesn't know at this point, but um, but essentially burner accounts, uh, five of them linked back to, you know, Brian Colangelo, the GM, um, or at least his wife, 
um, and family. And, you know, kind of talking some mess about the players, kind of, uh, you know, revealing personal details and, and injuries uh, reports and whatnot. Um, do you want to weigh in on this? Like, low-key, and, and I know that NBA Twitter does not like Brian Colangelo, and I know that everyone loves Sam Hinkie and the process, and, like, <laughs> that's the culture, uh, part of the culture of NBA Twitter. But I do feel bad for this guy because it seems more and more like he didn't know about the Twitter account, and his wife was just defending his honor, which is, like, sort of a sweet thing to do, a terrible, terrible lapse in judgment, and, and he should probably be fired if this is how it plays out. But, like, truly sad because, I mean, he didn't do this. His wife did it from a place of love, even though it was a real terrible mistake. And it's going to probably cost him a job and any future job he could have had. I mean, his dad, if his dad can't save him, then, I mean, who's going to take a chance on him at this point? Uh, You know, I'm not a big Brian Colangelo guy, especially since he did a great job, I think, in Phoenix, um, drafting guys like Sean Marion and. Amari Stoudemire and the success they had there, but he, you know, made some very, very poor decisions in Toronto. He made some poor decisions in Philadelphia. There's kind of always been arrogance around him and his dad. So I'm not going to be sad to see him go, but I think the the situation is a tad sad. What does this do as far as, you know, you were just talking about Paul George and LeBron, and and obviously in the press conference the other day, um, you know, they asked about Dan Gilbert and something that he, or I don't remember if it was Dan Gilbert, but they asked about somebody within the Cavs organization, something that he tweeted, and, you know, LeBron's response was, oh, he tweeted that, right? Like, that was his account, right? Um, So, I mean, obviously, it's, it's getting around. It's something that I'm sure players are, you know, really considering because, as Joel Embiid said, you know, I'm willing to give some benefit of the doubt, but if this is true, this is really bad. So does this put, even if Colangelo goes, does this reflect badly on the organization from your standpoint? Yeah, it does. And honestly, Philadelphia is a pretty suspect organization. Like when you think about it, this team was terrible for four years. They challenged everything under the Hinky regime with the tanking. But beyond that, like, look at what happened. Jalil Okafor did terribly there. He had a terrible relationship with the organization. Terrible. Nerlens Noel ended terrible. Terrible relationship with the organization. Michael Carter-Williams, one rookie of the year. Terrible end with the organization. The medical staff has lied about Ben Simmons. They've lied about Joe Embiid. There's not really been any honesty. Now this Mar- Markel Fultz forgets to shoot. Now there's the... Um, the whole Twitter dupe thing. Like this, this last six, seven years from Philadelphia does not scream to me professionally run, uh, organized, smart, head of the game. You know, organization. There's, there's been a lot of weird kinks with this Philly team, with Hinky, with Colangelo, and and I'm sure players are looking at that and feeling a little uncomfortable. But that said, if, if you're LeBron and you feel like that's the best place for you to keep winning and you really do have the relationship with Ben Simmons that you claim, I mean, you know, if it's your best option, it's your best option. Right. Completely agree. So, I mean, I guess moving forward, um, you know, we have that to look forward to as far as LeBron goes. Um, who do you think is kind of, you know, rounds out the top, let's say, you know, three or four free agents outside of LeBron who have a legitimate chance well, at moving. 
Um, legitimate chance of moving. Well, I, I think LeBron is one. Um, you know what? Kevin Durant is probably staying, like 95% chance staying, but until he signs on that dotted line, he looked a little uncomfortable in that Houston series. There were some whispers that he might not be happy um, with how things have played out the last couple of weeks. So, you know, we'll keep that on the back burner just in case. The NBA is crazy. You never know. Uh, Paul George. I'm trying to think who else is available this year. Um, oh, here, let me ask head. you a question. Let me ask you a question. Based off of these four guys, these are these are all going to be restricted free agents, okay? So rank them as far as um, what contract you would want to, or who would get the largest contract and going down. Um, Julius Randle, Clint Capella, um, Jabari Parker, and Aaron Gordon. Okay, so I think that Clint Capella, Julius Randle, and Aaron Gordon will all get near-max deals. I think Aaron Gordon will get an offer, a near-max offer from the Indiana Pacers. I think the Orlando Magic will match. So that's, I think, what happens there. If I had my pick of the four, I'd want Aaron Gordon. I've seen this guy guard everyone from Chris Paul to Joel Embiid to LeBron James. He's added a three-point shot. He's one of the best athletes in the league. I think Orlando is a mess. Look at what's happening with Victor Oladipo right now. If I was going for one, I'd go for Gordon. Um, but I think that's how that plays out. Indiana makes the offer. Orlando reluctantly matches. Clint Capella gets the max offer from the Suns. If LeBron goes to Houston, the Suns get him. If he doesn't go to Houston, uh, he stays there. Takes that. Then the, the Rockets max him out. Julius Randle gets stuck in limbo between the Paul George, LeBron stuff. He pulls a Chandler Parsons from a couple of years ago, signs an offer sheet with Dallas. Lakers fumble around, let him go because they don't want to lose that cap space. Um, I think Julius Randle will be Dallas Maverick next year. And then Jabari Parker. I don't think there's going to be that much of a market for this guy. I honestly, the injuries, the bad luck, he's not a very good defensive player. Wasn't really given the chance to showcase things um, in the playoffs. I think, honestly, I might even I might even take a swing at Marcus Smart before I would at Jabari Parker. Really? Can yeah, you, just, can you explain Marcus it? Smart? Compete level. Right. Like Jabari Parker, maybe there's there's a little chance that he's still got an all-star, that there's all-star talent there. But more likely than not, he's probably a high-volume shooter who's never a very good defender and fits somewhere awkwardly between the three and the four. Like, I know what Marcus Smart is. I know he's never going to be a scorer. I know he's going to make some ill-advised plays, but I know he's going to compete every single night. I know that he's an ace on defense. I know that he can play, make it an above-average level. And I think I'd rather have the dog in Marcus Smart at seven, eight million a year than take a swing at Jabari Parker for the same rate and just mm-hmm. have him be stuck. Right. Hmm. Interesting. See, Marcus is somebody who I'm very look. I understand he's he's a competitor. He's somebody who's going to fight for your team. He's got he's got that dog in him. But I don't know, man. I mean, look, we're talking a lot of money when it comes to a guy like Marcus, and and his camp is going to expect that money. Um, they're not going to settle for much less. And when you talk about guys like Dennis Schroeder and those guys um, kind of potentially looking to move, there were some rumors that he was really interested in a team like Indiana um, and and potentially going out there, teaming up with Vic, teaming up, teaming up with, uh, you know, obviously Miles and and potentially whoever they can get in free agency, which a lot of these, you know, I'm, I have a feeling that they're going to, they're one of the few teams who can afford to actually throw some money at just about any one of these young, you know, restricted free agents. And I have a feeling that they're going to wind up grabbing one of them. 
But so, you know, I mean, if, if a guy like, uh, like Schroeder is out there, I mean, I, I think a team like Atlanta, if they give up Schroeder, is going to severely overpay for a guy like Marcus Smart because I don't see him being that every day. And look, I might be wrong, but I don't see him being that every day, you know, starting caliber, take you to the next level type of player. And, and he's going to get paid like that. Well, you know, I don't know if he will. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if he will. And, and, but I feel the same way you do about both him and Jabari Parker. Like, I think if you're paying either one of these guys to be the guy or, you know, one of your two or three best players on a championship team, like, you have the wrong idea and you're going to regret that deal. But if, you know, Marcus Smart says he's, he thinks he's worth north of $12 million a year, um, he's not getting that. I, I don't think he's getting that. And there's just not enough money to go around this offseason, especially with all the bigs we've already talked about. And next year, there's the Jimmy Butler, Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard free agency that everyone is also um, interested in. And I, I think if, if you're Marcus Smart, one of two things will happen. Like a team like Atlanta will offer you eight or nine million a year over four, four, three or four, which I think I would be comfortable giving him. And he takes it. Or he says there's going to be more money next year. He takes the qualifying offer from Boston, stays one more year there to see what, what happens, and then he can renegotiate the following offseason. I, I think that's the most likely scenario. Like he's going to want 12. No one will offer it. Ainge will say, here's like six, whatever his qualifying offer is for one more year. Come back. Let's win a championship. And, and right. then he'll debate from there. Right. Yep. That sounds, that sounds about right. Um, so let's, you know, I know that you're not a huge draft guy, but let's talk a little bit of draft. Um, you know, I mean, as far as the top pick goes, uh, DeAndre Ayton's kind of, you know, penciled in for most people, I think. Um, where do you sit as far as Ayton goes as a prospect? Yeah, so, like, I'm, like I'm a diehard NBA guy. I get paid to write NBA, so most of the season I watch NBA. But I do read a lot of, like, the draft stuff because come the end of the season, then everybody sort of switches focus. And just, like, a lot of the people that I follow and who, who do this and, and are, are following these guys year long said things about Aiden that make me uncomfortable, like that he's never going to be a good defensive player and that, like, mobility could be an issue for him. Um, getting out from the getting in and out of the paint and like rotating. And, and I just think about bigs in, in today's game. And I'm like, even if he is, he would have to be, I know that he has the three point potential and he's got a huge body, but let's say he's DeMarcus cousins offensively. Like he couldn't be much better as an offensive player than DeMarcus cousins. So that's already like near a best case scenario, but is, is DeMarcus Cousins an easy guy to build build around in today's NBA? I, I don't think he is. Like, there's there's a real argument that the Pelicans are better without him. Um, you know, as good as he was, and, and you know, there's guys like Zach Lowe talking about the Pelicans would consider Otto Porter Jr. for him, just because wings are so much more valuable and so hard to build around a big offensive center who slows down your offense and doesn't add to your defense. So, you know, as excited as people are about Aiden as much as they pencil them in. If that is the best case scenario, DeMarcus Cousins is like his ceiling as a player. I, I would be interested in like trading down or like drafting someone else. Cause I just personally, I don't want to build around the big slow center in today's NBA. Right. I mean, I, th- I think I'm a little bit higher on, um, on Aiden as you, but this, the concerns are, are incredibly real and, and they're very concerning. You're right. Um, 
you know, I mean, I think that I think that you're right as far as today's NBA, as far as getting players who can play multiple positions, because even centers these days can run with multiple positions. They can slot in at the five or the four. They can shoot. They can do this. They can do that. They can at the very least, you know, finish on a fast break with the point guard. Uh, you know, maybe seven out of ten of them at least can. And a lot of the elite ones can, you know. Um, is there any other prospect that you think is, uh, you know, that that you're really high on, that you're really bright about? Well, so, like, everyone is really high on Luka Doncic, too, that I, that I read. And then, like, a lot of NBA scouts aren't high on him. So, like, I've, you know, I've watched some of his game tape. I saw some of the playoff games. And, I mean, he looks like a good player. It's always hard to tell how explosive a European is relative to NBA until he gets here. But, I mean, he looks like a good player. Um, I, I don't think teams need to be, like, super concerned. I've seen some really fiery takes on both sides there. Michael Porter Jr. is a guy I would still be excited about. Like, he, he's a guy that coming into this year, all I read was about how he was, like, the clear best player in this class. And, you know, he was going to be next-level scorer. And he's, like, the most polished forward, hybrid forward scorer we've seen since Beasley or Durant and yada, yada, yada. So all of this positive buzz, he gets hurt, he misses the whole year, he comes back for a couple games, doesn't look good, and everyone's kind of backed off him. Now he's looking like I've seen him in mock at 5, at 7, at 9, at 10, and I'm like, he's a guy who I would still be interested in, especially if I was in that, you know, 5 to 10 range and I was looking at a guy who I thought could exceed all expectations, then, then he's someone I think I would be interested in taking a look at. Right. So I guess the last thing that I wanted to kind of talk about is um, is essentially a lot of the people who I know who listen to this uh, podcast are, you know, are aspiring writers. Uh, they want to, you know, as you said, you got, you know, you get paid to write about this stuff, to, to talk about basketball. And, and so do I. And, and that's such a dream, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, you can attest to that, that this is the thing that you love. This is the thing that you've wanted to do for a long time. You don't do it unless if you're passionate about it uh, because it really, you know, you really have to be into it and you really have to love it. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got to be in this place, um, you know, and, and maybe if you have any advice for people or, or you know, what you have uh, to say to them when if they were to tell you that? Yeah, like I, I honestly, it's been the best worst journey ever, right? I mean, it, you know, if you've been in it, you know it. Like it, it's just such a tough, competitive, miserable, cronyistic—if that's even a word—nepotism-filled um, nep industry that just it drives you nuts. And um, there is no, there is no like people will DM me all the time, like, "Hey, man, like." I'd love to do what you're doing. Like, I would love to write about hoops or sports and what can I do and, and how do I get to where you are? And, and honestly, like it's flattering. And like, I really appreciate that. Like you think I have the answers, but I just genuinely don't. I mean, coming up from Calgary, like I, I didn't know a single person in this industry when I decided that I wanted to get into this. Like I have always loved basketball. Hockey has been king here, you know, my whole life and probably always will be. Uh, I went into journalism, went in from there, I went to communications. While I was doing that, I was bartending full-time, writing for free at blogs, interning at places like Dime and Sportsnet. At Sportsnet, I never got to write about basketball, never got to talk about basketball on the air, even though that's all I wanted to do, was always hockey. 
uh, took an internship after I graduated from journalism communications at a weekly paper where my first story was about women's knitting, like a charity group of old ladies that knitted sweaters. Um, and in six months there, I did one story on basketball and I thought it was going to be like a thousand word call and they chopped it to 150 last page of the sports section, top right corner. I mean, it, it was not like easy <laughs> at any point. Um, just all, all I could honestly say is like, just know that this, there isn't a high uh, probability of success to ever be full time in this industry. Like I worked my way from non-paid intern to paid intern to like contributor to regular contributor, which is where I am now. And I, you know, I might never, ever get to do this full time, which is okay because I, you know, I'm also teaching and I've kind of come to peace with this being my second job, um, hobby. And I love doing this. And I mean, maybe there will be some, some path eventually, but, but I just, in general, I'm kind of rambling now, like network, always, always, always network who, you know, is so important in this industry. I mean, in life, but in this industry, especially never burn any bridges. You don't have to burn, never submit any copy. You're not proud of, and, and, and like write as much as you can and read as much as you can. I, I'm, you know, the above average writer reader that I am because I've read so much other stuff and interacted with so many other smart people. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that, um, you'll remember this, but maybe about a year and a half ago or, or two years ago. So my story is kind of similar. Don't know, didn't know anybody who was, you know, in this industry who was writing in this space, as far as the MBA space went, um, I was in school studying business and um, and I knew I wanted to work in sports somehow, but I was thinking the business side of it or, or something like that. And, um, you know, I mean, I took I took a job that would wind up getting me over to, you know, a, a small lacrosse team in uh, Long Island, New York, where I had to commute on like four trains in the dead cold of winter. And, you know, and, and I know nothing about lacrosse. I, I literally, I still to this day have no idea how the hell you score in lacrosse or, or how points go or, or timing or anything. And, uh, but I wanted to get a job in sports. And so, you know, the job that they had was kind of like a multimedia, uh, social media intern. And then that wound up relaying over to, uh, do, doing some writing and then, a couple, you know, some of the writing stuff, I started doing my own blog. And then that blog wound up getting seen by a couple of people at CBS. And then they got me in as an intern. And, you know, things kind of really blossomed from there where, uh, you know, then I was with USA Today as as kind of like a site manager for their Rockets Wire. And then, you know, now now I have my full time position. Uh, and, and I'm very lucky to be able to do so in, in just about a year and a half. But about a year and a half ago, I actually had DM'd you uh, before we knew each other. And again, I doubt that you'll remember this, but I had asked you, you know, how do I get to be a writer and how do I get to make this happen and how can I try? And, you know, I mean, you told me uh, at that time, I don't, I don't, there's no path. There's no one path, but if you do what you love and you're passionate about it and you put the effort into it and you either, you know, and, and you make the best kind of get in where you fit in. That's, that's kind of what I always say, um, is get in where you fit in. Then I, I, you know, you said that that's, that's how you'll make your mark in some, some ways, some form. 
And so, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to bring that up and, and say that I appreciate you for that, for saying that and, and really helping me out on this, you know, getting to where I am. Because, you, you know, everybody who gave me some sort of advice all these years, uh, well, couple last couple of years, um, have, you know, really helped me to get where I want to be. And, and it's, it's only growing. And so, you know, thank you for that, man. That, like that, that's amazing. Honestly, like that's so amazing. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad it wasn't all doom and gloom because I know <laughs> sometimes I'll be having a bad week or like a story I wrote will get chopped to crap or, you know, like something, a pitch will get turned down and, and someone will message me like, why do you even want to do this? This industry sucks. <laughs> but, uh, I'm I'm glad that I was able to like give you something and like man just like seeing you climb it's been amazing and I'm I'm like so happy that you're full time now living the dream and just hold on to it man like it's super awesome that you're here right absolutely man and and you know and and so we want to just thank you for uh, coming on my show and yeah I mean let's let's see what happens with the playoffs let's see what happens with free agency and let's let's bring you back come uh you know come summertime when free agency stuff really gets going let's you know we'd love to have you back yeah man let's do it you like you got me all nostalgic now talk i got the, <laughs> the only thing i like talking more than basketball is like this industry and nba twitter like i'm i'm Absolutely. uniquely rounded in those three subjects <laughs> absolutely man no we got we got plenty of that underway let's get you back in july and let's get you talking about free agency once we get to that point awesome let's do it all right well that's been episode three um of radio rahul here with josh eberly thank you 